Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. It is hard to imagine, but luckily those of us that live through it don't have to imagine it. But just a couple of years ago, it was considered a rare thing for people to show up for work. It was considered something that was totally appropriate to ban someone from their job because they didn't want to get vaccinated. It was considered totally appropriate to shut down businesses because employer employees of that business were deemed by some politician non-essential. And I can tell you, as someone that was not really into wearing masks outside, it was not unusual to be walking around with a friend in the middle of the day with no mask on, only to be heckled by total strangers listing a death count of how many people died from COVID. Now, we're starting to look at the COVID situation and the COVID era, and we're still trying to recover from it. We've seen what's happened when it comes to drug use. We've seen what happens when it comes to education. We've seen what happens when it comes to disrupted supply chains and host of other social and economic maladies. But one of the things that was very controversial at the time was the COVID lab leak theory. And one of the leaders in covering this and commenting on it has been Paul D. Thacker. He's an independent journalist who reports on science, medicine, and the environment. He was also a lead investigator of the Senate Finance Committee, where he examined financial links between physicians and pharmaceutical companies. And he joins us now live from Spain, I believe. Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thank, uh, thanks for having me on, Frank. Great, great, great to hear all these guys. Um, I live in Spain, in Madrid. I'm married to a Spaniard, and it's just great listening to all, your, all the calling your call-ins you have from across the country. It's just great hearing this. Thank you. Well, that's uh, nice of you. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, Phyllis in. You're clearly an American. How did you end up in Spain? 
Uh, you know what happens? You go out drinking one night and you meet some woman and there you go. <laughs> uh, believe me, I get that. I get that. That's, uh, that's how my wife ended up uh, leaving Long Island. Believe me. All right. Um, <laughs> before we get into the COVID stuff, which I'm very interested in and very interested in your work on, um, you, I mentioned your work as a lead investigator with Chuck Grassley in the Senate Finance Committee, particularly as it relates to the financial links between doctors and pharmaceutical companies. What do we Americans need to know about the broad strokes between pharmaceutical company uh, pharmaceutical companies and the and the heft that they uh, that they have on Capitol Hill and in doctors' offices. Well, there's 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 probably there's likely no um, uh, industry that's more powerful um, in Washington D.C. than the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you, when you go out there, there there will be these polls. That run in the uh, they're they're called the hill rags. Um, I can't remember which one it is. It might be the hill. It could be roll call, where they they asked members of Congress and senior staff, "What do you think is the most um, uh, what is the, what is what is the best lobbyist uh, group out there?" And they'll they'll always say pharma. Pharma has a has a huge amount of influence. And <clears throat> when I was working with Grassley. Um, at the time, there was a big drug scandal with, with a drug called Vioxx, which was sold by Merck, and we ended up finding out that it was causing heart attacks. And so after, um, and, and then we found out later after, so we're now talking like around 2006, 2007, and as we um, began looking more and more into that drug, the first question was, how did this drug ever get on the market? Like, how did it go through the FDA approval process? And looking at the FDA panel that approved, the, the, the scientists and doctors were on that panel, almost all of them had ties to the drug industry. Uh-huh. And there had been several bo- I mean, you could just walk into your local bookstore and you can fa- go to a certain section and find books about the financial influence of the pharmaceutical industry. It's the most effective um, uh, lobby group like in America. I mean, and the latest example we can see of this are these COVID vaccines. Which I mean, Pfizer—they've never made this much money in their life as they made on these COVID vaccines, and the um, the contracts for those vaccines with most countries have never been disclosed. Um, we don't really know how. Like, they were also like—I they, they, mean—they they sold a product that the government said no one can sue you for selling this product. Like, who else gets that? Who else gets that deal in America? Yeah, you know, and <laughs> you know? I realize this is a uh, this is an area that's been fraught with controversy. And I'm going to ask you about some of the things that we're seeing on the free speech front as it relates right. to this. But I mean, it's oh, it's always been one of those things that's fascinated me how the public benefits supposedly in that they all get these COVID vaccines for free. The uh, the pharmaceutical companies get to sell this this vaccine to the government and make a boatload of money the government right. gets to borrow the money to pay for these covid vaccines and everyone's happy presumably unless uh unless you want to seek some sort of legal recourse if uh, if something goes wrong let me ask you though about the the lab leak uh theory this right. is something that was very controversial. It would get you banned from social media. It would get warning right. signs. It was not considered polite to even bring up the idea that maybe COVID escaped from a lab. But now this went from something that was fringe to something that it was okay to bring up 
to something that has become increasingly mainstream. Tell me what your research has shown about the likeliness that COVID-19 came from a lab. Well, I can tell you the reason why it was fringe. That's not that's not for no cause. It, it was this was a deliberate cover up from the very beginning of the pandemic. As soon as the pandemic hit, you know, there were there were there were only two questions during this whole entire pandemic. One was how did it start? Because then we know how to prevent it. Right. It's if, if someone's house catches on fire, people come in from the fire department to look to see what happened because you don't want all of the other houses to catch on fire. if There's something wrong. Right. And the next one is, you know, how do we deal with it? And what in America, what we said was we're going to use vaccines, masks and lockdowns. What we know that right now is, is that like a lot of that was not true. We know that these vaccines were not as effective as we were told. There's the side effects now are becoming ever more um, relevant. We know these masks, there was never any really good evidence that they stopped at the community level spread. And we're now beginning to see the side effects of these lockdowns. Now, from the, what happened from the beginning is we know now from looking through um, documents that came to light through um, either litigation or through Freedom of Inf- Information Act requests is that there was a concerted effort by Anthony Fauci um, and Francis Collins at the NIH and a bunch of allied virologists, many of them funded by the NIH, to shut down any discussion of a lab leak. And we know this from the internal emails. They planted a um, uh, an essay in the Lancet, a very famous um, uh, British journal, to say that you know this is a conspiracy theory. We find out later that the guy who orchestrated that letter in the Lancet is a guy named Peter Daszak, who runs a nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance, funded by the NIH, and subcontracts out to Shi Zheng Li at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. None of this was disclosed in the Lancet. It all comes out like a year and a half later. There was also um, several um, virologists who published a essay in Emerging Microbes and Infections to also say that this was this by so first in February of 2021 we have the Lancet, then Emerging Microbes and Infections in early March, and they say also that it's a um, it's a uh, um, conspiracy. We find out later that they had taken the essay and run it past Shi Zheng Li at the Wuhan Institute of Virology to have her check it. And another guy was a researcher at UNC, University of North Carolina. He actually helped to ghostwrite it. He actually said in his emails, like, I don't want my name attached to this. He said it in an email. He said the quiet part out loud. And he helped to edit the essay. This was never disclosed in the essay. And then the final one was a very famous paper in Nature Medicine that came out also, I believe, in late March, April, which said, hey, there's no evidence this thing could have come from a lab. We know now that those researchers had been had, having phone conversations with Anthony Fauci and Tony Collins. I'm sorry, Anthony Fauci and, and Francis Collins at the NIH. And they had originally thought that they that like this thing looks like it's engineered. They did a 180 reversal. After, right before the article comes out, the lead author, Christian Anderson at Scripps University, sends an email to Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins saying, hey, thanks for your advice uh, for your advice on, on this article, right? Advice and guidance, I think is the terms he used, right? In the email. Now, here's the thing. No one ever sends a, 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 a study to someone about their advice and, and leadership on a study unless they provided le- advice and leadership on the study, right? So then after the study comes out, there's no mention at all of the um, Francis Collins and Tony, uh, uh, Francis Collins and Tony Fauci helping, helping on the study. And then once it's published, Francis Collins puts, puts it up on his NIH leadership blog, and, and, and Tony Fauci talks about it, 
during a White House briefing, the president, president at the time, President Trump, is asked about the possibility this came from a lab. And he steps aside and Tony Fauci comes up and says, well, we have this paper. I think we can get it to you. Like, no, like it, totally disguising the fact that he helped to orchestrate this paper. Right. So this was done from the very beginning. These people were trying to hide this stuff. And Paul, just so folks understand, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Paul Thacker. You could follow him on Substack and see some of his other writings, not only on this subject, but a bunch of other things at pauldthacker.com. Just so folks understand, the reason there was so much hostility to this from the NIH and from the medical establishment was that they were afraid this would lead to their culpability in this whole thing? Oh, yes. I mean, they're, look, think about it. These people were essentially saying, hey, we're going to like do all this great research to like stop um, the next pandemic from coming. And then what do we find out what happens? Like, that's weird because one of the labs you had set up to like stop these pandemics from happening, the pandemic started like right in that city. Mm-hmm. That's bizarre. And it involved a virus that's found 800 miles away. And then we know like, oh, wow. And you happen to be studying that virus like in that lab. The other problem that they wanted they wanted to hide too is is that we know now like you hear all these calls for like try, China to be transparent, America needs to be transparent. Tony Fauci was funding research in that lab. So this, we know that now. This gain he was of, funding that research. This gain of function issue has been very controversial. And uh, in January of 2022, Rand Paul was uh, questioning Anthony Fauci in a Senate committee hearing on this subject. And uh, basically, Anthony Fauci repeatedly denied that the United States was engaging in gain-of-function theory. It went on for a while, but if people don't remember this, this is a little bit of, um, of what was going on, the back and forth between Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, and uh, Anthony Fauci at the time. Senator, we are here at a committee to look at a, a virus now that has killed almost 900,000 People. And the purpose of the committee was to try and get things out, how we can help to get the American public. And you keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. Do you think anybody has had more influence let, over let a response to this than you have? Do you Madam think it's a great Chair, success? I... Do you think it's a great success what's happened well, so far? Do you think you, the lockdowns said... are good for our kids? Do you think we slowed down the death rate? More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. You are the one responsible. You are the architect. You are the lead architect for the response from the government. And now 800,000 people have died. Paul, explain to folks who may not be familiar with the term gain-of-function research, why would anybody, uh, the government or anybody else, want to create these superbugs? What's the value to the scientific community to create these, uh, these incredible viruses that no one knows how to cure? Well, so that, it's, it, that's, a, that's a very good question, and they can't really give you any good answer to it. Um, essentially, what, what they're doing is they're saying, like, hey, what if this virus becomes really dangerous? Let's study it to figure out how we can stop it from happening. So it's almost as if they, it's like, you know, hey, let's create a Godzilla in case there's a Godzilla happens to appear on the planet so that we can figure out how to kill Godzilla if a Godzilla suddenly appears. And the obvious question is, it's like, it's like little boys. It's like, you know, oh, let me go mess with that snake. And it's like, leave the snake alone. Like, it's not like, what if the snake bites? Like, leave the snake alone, you know? I mean, this is the whole game that they've been doing. And, by, and in that exchange, by the way, I wrote about that. Anthony Fauci lied under oath. That, 
that that um, hearing, he's under oath. He lied under oath. After that hearing, uh, Senator Paul sent a referral over, under, it's called 1001, over to the Department of Justice to have him prosecuted for lying to Congress. Now, what's going on, though, is, is that, you know, Department of Justice is run by the Biden administration, and Anthony Fauci was the medical advisor to the President of the United States. So that's not going to go anywhere. Um, but what's happened is, is Anthony Fauci has been misleading us from the beginning. Um, it, the evidence accumulates more and more. We know now that his, his grants were funding those researchers. I mean, this is indisputable now. It's there, it's there like in, 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 in the documents. And so he's going to start doing backflips. And you can tell because when the Wall Street Journal um, wrote this story yesterday releasing this stuff, um, the NIH did not respond for comment. Uh, Peter Daszak of the Eco Health Alliance, who was funded by the NIH, did not respond for comment. And I want to say one, one, one important thing. You know, it got really wild there like um, last week. Um, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi published an article saying that these three researchers, Ben Hugh, who they named, who work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that they're patient zero, that they were infected in November of 2019. That's not true. Um, they really, they kind of screwed that one up. Those researchers um, were infected in um, November of 2019. Um, that is true. That's been classified information about for since Early on in the pandemic, it's now finally coming out. I think that was a leak of classified information. But the pandemic started before that. There's a lot of evidence we have that the pandemic probably started around August, September. There's a variety of um, in China. Um, evidence for that, some of which is actually still classified, some of which is still leaked out. Um, and this was likely what happened with those three researchers. I haven't written about this yet. Um, was a second infection. It was a second, a second, a second um, accident. Well, but, and it, but it did begin in China. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. As a result oh, no, no, of gain-of-function yeah. research that was funded, at least in part, by a grant from the NIH. It was funded in part by grant by the NIH. Some of the money also came from USAID, which is a, um, underneath the State Department. <clears throat> they were funding virus research also. What's interesting um, that I wrote about is there's now a criminal investigation going into this USAID money because uh, the people inside USAID diverted some of their money from a, pro a project called PREDICT, in which they were trying to figure out where these viruses were, they were collecting them, bringing them back to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They diverted it into creating this new entity called the Global Virome um, Project, the GVP. The USAID um, employee who helped to divert that money after he left USAID he then went to go work for the Global Virome Project, which is illegal. You, you know, uh, Paul, we're just about out of time, uh, but there's so many other areas that I'd love to explore with you. you got to come back. Um, sure. Let me just ask you this before we run out of time here. The, the part of this episode that I find so disturbing is that if you would have just said in Twitter form what you just said to me, Two and a half years ago, that would have been enough to have you suspended from the platform. Oh, Josh, yeah, jo Josh Rogan, who's now at the Washington Post, was at the time at Politico, wrote about these issues, and he was his uh, story was then banned on Twitter. And that's a whole other issue. Like, I've been to Twitter twice. I'm rolling out more stories about what was happening at Twitter. And what we know about the censorship was going on at Twitter, we still don't know what's happened at Facebook. I cannot have an Instagram well, and, account and look, for my newsletter. Look at what's going on with YouTube and the video YouTube. of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Jordan Peterson. Exactly. Um, right, exactly. I, I mean, so 
Not, I'm not endorsing stuff. what it's he's saying there, but why? What's the harm in letting people watch it if they want to watch it? Um, uh, Paul, let's uh, let's talk again. Maybe we can even do something next week if you're game. Sounds good. Thank you, Paul Thacker. Thanks you, for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, uh, and, and, and from Spain, uh, I hope everyone's having a great day back in America. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's a much more civilized time for you than it is for us here in the U.S. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.